and sort of give an idea of an expectation that six months. Is it going to double traffic? Is it going to be you know, 20% more traffic? What's it going to be? That is how you do it from research and experience and process. Welcome to Unmiss, your go-to digital marketing hub. I'm Anatoly Ulatovsky, here with expert tips and exclusive chats to boost your online game. Let's get started. Hello, good people. Welcome to our show. Hello, bad people. Welcome to our show. Hello, guys. Welcome. Today, we are going to discuss more about organic traffic, organic reach, how you can get results, how you can get a lot of traffic, and even more, how you can get sales. Because for me, personally, I don't care about traffic if I can't sell my products because sales are fuel. So I usually chase less, but quality traffic. I'm so excited to discuss a lot more with Grant Simmons. How are you? I'm very good. That's energetic introduction. I like that a lot. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having a chat. So uh, yeah, and I agree. Quality of traffic is way more important than quantity of traffic. But you know, hopefully, one leads to the other. Nice, nice. I know about your experience. It's extended experience, 35 years in marketing. You pay so much attention to ACO. So I love it. I love to uh, communicate, to chat with uh, experts who know the topic because I found uh, they can lead in the right direction. Grant, before we start, just tell more about your self-experience background and anything that can help our listeners to learn more about you. Sure. So my background is in traditional marketing and development. So I started off first off as a computer programmer, programming in Fortran <laughs> back in the day, compiler language. Um, then uh, discovered uh, SEO um, in, when I was working in an agency in Los Angeles. That was in early 90s. Um, wasn't really SEO then. It was just uh, we have a website. We want to get some traffic. Uh, since then, I've worked agency side in some of the largest agencies in the US. Um, plus, I've worked brand side, um, managing the pay, you know the search overall for Homes.com, one of the largest um, real estate portals in the US, 110 million pages, uh, 20 million traffic uh, a month. So I have a pretty broad experience, and now I'm a fractional uh, SEO. So I work with a number of agencies as a point of contact, expertise, strategy, and otherwise around SEO, as you said before, driving more, and as I say, more better traffic. Yeah, nice, nice, yeah. Uh, I remember when I started my digital journey, I paid so much attention to SEO, uh, that was in 2008, but I couldn't get results for a long time. So I started to learn myself. And uh, today when I have an agency, when we can help our clients, I found it's very important to understand how it works. So basically, if I have a new client, I usually ask uh, about skills that they have. If my new clients have no skills, I tell them, search on Google, YouTube, learn the basic. You need to understand how it works because it's tough to get results. I'm not sure that any expert can help without knowing the basic. And uh, for me as well, for example, when I started PR, I made my hands dirty. I spent time to write press releases, to distribute them. I got zero mentions results, but I learned the process. And today we get great results uh, from CNN, Bloomberg, uh, Investing.com, many, many big websites. Uh, NPR is one of our 
distribution channels, uh, link building channels. And I, fo- I found it's very important to understand, to know how it works. Grant, can you tell how to do it uh, from companies that want to get this traffic but can't succeed, can't get results, but think that someone can help decide all their issue? How to craft this right strategy? Because you mentioned that it's more... It's important to get uh, yes. traffic, that quality traffic, relevant traffic. So tell more about that. Yeah, no, no problem. Well, I mean, look, do we have five, six hours? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Let's um, do it for 40 but, minutes. <laughs> no problem. No, the, the basics are, are really basic. You know, um, is your site valuable and is it discoverable and crawlable? That's at the very high level, the basics. So. I often say to people, you know, you look at a site, there's a tactical approach, which is let's fix, let's improve, let's make it quote unquote better. And then there's the strategy, which aligns with what are our goals and how do we get there? And those two things aren't mutually exclusive. They often align with each other, but I often see a lot of companies that are just doing a tactical approach, not a strategic approach. And if you don't know your goals, if you don't know what you should show up for, where your expertise is, you know, uh, what kind of landing page someone should have to be satisfied, what kind of helpful content you should have, then that's not strategy, that's just tactics. So the first thing I always say is, is your content crawlable and discoverable, right? That's very simple. You know, does it show up in search results? Do you have Google Search Console installed? What is that telling you about the crawlability and availability of the content? Once you've done that, then you can start thinking about is the content utile? You know, does it have utility and helpfulness? Because if it doesn't, it doesn't matter if your site is crawlable and available. It does matter whether that content is helpful. And and the way I go about that is what kind of questions are people are asking about your product or services? Where is your unique selling proposition? Just like marketing as a whole, what what makes you different and special? Where is your expertise? And and obviously I'm, I'm mimicking Google a little bit. Where's your expertise, authority and trust and experience you know, within your site? And how is that content ultimately helpful? How does it satisfy the query completely on a page or pages of your site? If you go through those steps, And the biggest thing is getting a company and users to actually, what I call, eat your own dog food. Use your own site. (laughs) If it's not useful to you, if it doesn't make sense to you, then it's not going to be useful for users. That's in a nutshell, the condensed version of, of actually building a strategy that works. Mm-hmm, nice. You mentioned a few times about quality content. And uh, I remember when Gary Vee said about quality content, he replied, it's subjective. Nobody knows it's quality or not. And it can be quality for someone, uh, not quality for others. Uh, you can get some haters who can tell it's generic. So uh, can you describe this quality? Because uh, content is the number one ranking factor. It's very important to have quality content, better content than your competitors have. But how to measure this quality? Because we, we can measure the number of backlinks, we can measure, I don't know, volume, many other metrics, but we can't measure quality content. So uh, give more insights about that. So it, it, it is subjective. Now, when when Google first introduced Eat, I, I actually created a presentation about restaurants because, you know, 
People eat in restaurants and a restaurant quality is also subjective. But if yeah. you think about when you go into a restaurant, the first thing is, is it, are your expectations met? All right. So the whole idea of meeting expectations, you see a sign outside a restaurant. It says great Ukrainian food. Okay. You go in there and immediately you see it has American burgers. So first off, there's a mismatch between the expectations and what you get. The second thing is the experience. When you go into a restaurant, is the ambiance great? You know, are the tablecloths clean? You know, are the knives and forks in the right place? Are they aligned? So site experience is also important. Do you find the navigation easily? Does it allow you to navigate to the content you want? Are there uh, pop-ups or other distractions from eating that content? So when you look at quality, it's not just about the subjectivity of the actual written words. It's about the overall experience and whether your expectations are met. Now, I talk about satisfaction a lot. And satisfaction means if I go to the page for a specific set of queries, are my questions answered completely? That is not subjective. Uh, you know, completely might be, but are your needs met? Are your questions answered? And that to me is the key thing. When I create a page, I have a, a set of queries or, or a query to answer. And I want to make sure that is answered completely using the same thing you might do in your PR, the who, what, where, why, how, you know, and why should I care? Those are things that help define quality. Yeah, there's not a number you can do, but there is uh, you know, subjective, sure. But there is something that is definitely there within a page that you can compare to other pages that are ranking well and say, am I satisfying the queries completely? Now, words on a page are one thing. Statistics, graphs, charts, images, video, audio, all those things contribute to quality, all right? And so subjective, yes, but I can be pretty good at understanding whether a page is helpful, whether it satisfies a specific query or not. I'm sure you can too. And if people eat their own dog food, I know, because I've seen this many times where I say, hey, go to use, use your page as a user. Uh, is it util? Is it, is it, you know, does it offer utility? Does it actually completely answer? And if not, it's not helpful, it's not useful, and it's not quality. Yeah, uh, I like it. And you remind me Mark Twain when he said, I have no time to write a short letter, so I write a long letter instead. Uh, but you know, here's the problem. And le let me share an example. Uh, for example, um, when I decided to uh, search information about Tesla, that uh, basically I decided to buy Tesla in Florida, and I was curious, can I use this self-drivers feature autopilot in Florida, because each state in the US has different approaches, uh, the law, and uh, you know, I couldn't find the answer for my simple question on Google. I asked this question on Bart and uh, I got this answer for a few seconds because I didn't need 
to learn about Tesla, about electric cars, about how it can save this world. Of course, it's important, but I don't need it. I, I just needed the answer to simple question. Can I use this uh, feature? That's it. And uh, um, for example, uh, we help clients in investing trading niches and we uh, got some offers who uh, wrote like uh, long content uh, for thousand words for one piece uh, of content and uh, what we found that offers who can write like in uh, plus thousand words uh, rank much higher it's not like to the average data uh, that shows if you have longer content you can rank higher but it's more about quality and sometimes users don't need it so can you tell how to find this balance between simplicity and sharing all possible information that might help but sometimes users don't need it user intent is different so tell more about that yeah I, i'm i'm not a massive believer in 4000 word articles it's rare and users don't read 4000 words so the first thing is obviously uh, and, and you know and most people out there who have experience know you've got to find the questions now those questions can be from something like ask ask the public ask the public or from SAMrush or from InLinks or from other tools. But you want to make sure you have a complete topic chart, topic graph of every potential question and answer. And then it's about organization. So, you know, in your case there, I'm not sure if I would discover whether, you know, self-driving um, you know, functions can be used in every state. But if it is different, and I do find that, I'm going to write a page for states where the law is different. Now, a lot of people would write 50 pages, one for each state. And my way of looking at it, that's not useful. If a law is the same in 10 states, I'm going to have one page that mentions 10 states. So if you extrapolate that out, is a 4,000-word article is probably 10 pages, really, realistically. Because most of that information isn't ideal for someone looking for a finite answer. So I, I talk about paths to satisfaction, which means having a core page that has an overview of a topic. And then a user can dive down into the section that's most relevant to their query, or they land on that page based on Google understanding better. I, I want to take two steps back when we talk about quality. Although we don't have a metric for quality, we do know mostly that Google will reward quality content. So we do know that by analyzing the SERP, by analyzing the top 10, 20, 30 results, by looking at how they're answering the question, that we can do better than that. So although we don't have a metric, we do have a measure, and that is showing up for the right queries. So let, let, let's go back to your question. If you can't do comprehensive research, you're not going to have a complete answer. And that's fine for some people. They okay. might just have an overview page. But if you really want to satisfy completely, you provide internal links around subtopics to more in-depth articles. So if anything, you can have a thousand-word article that might lead to a thousand-word article that is much more in-depth around a specific element that topic. And so for Tesla, in, there might be a, a page on the car, the different models, and then there might be a page of features, and there might be a page of self-driving 
you know, because obviously it's an important feature. And on that page, you're going to have your main content and FAQs, you know. And if it says in the FAQs, can I use the self-driving feature in all the states in the U.S.? The answer is going to be no, you cannot. And here is a link to a list of the states and the various laws regarding self-driving. So that path to satisfaction, that organization of content based on a deep understanding of a topic, a, a topic map, topic graph, whatever you want to call that, is really important before you even you know, begin to, to write your site and organize your site. So that's always the first step. It's different when you're taking over a site or a client comes to you and you have to do some reorganization. I try and keep that to a minimum if the site is established. You know, otherwise, you know, we can start from scratch, what I call an ideal state. Mm -hmm. So th that answer your question unsuccinctly <laughs> in 4,000 <laughs> words or less. <laughs> yeah, I got that. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm interested about uh, creating a lot of pages that can reply to a simple question. Is it good idea for Google? I mean, like, if we have these pages, it we, Google can understand it's like duplicated content uh, without uh, sharing value. And uh, I, I got this issue a few times when we created uh, pages to reply to simple uh, questions, but uh, uh, we created a lot of pages, many pages that uh, can bring value only for, I don't know, a teeny percent of users and Google uh, dislikes this uh, pages uh, yeah. uh, so can can you tell how to find this balance i mean like okay uh, we need to create content for human beings yep no questions about that but we need to optimize for search engines as well and google doesn't recommend to create small pages uh, that bring no. less value you know or for a teeny percent right. of users so how to find this balance yeah do do i pages uh, obviously a bad thing so doorway pages, many pages built specifically for search engines, and generally super long tail queries, questions, end up being doorway pages. So if it doesn't add value, I normally have it as a FAQ within a page, uh, you know, because it adds value to the meat of that particular page. So I think one of the key things is, is saying, if I landed on this page, is there sufficient primary or main content, as Google calls it, to warrant having a page. And if not, I won't have it. So the example about the Tesla, if I can have one page that covers 20 states where the laws are all the same, I'm going to do that as opposed to having 20 separate state pages. Now, when we worked at homes.com, um, you know, we have 110 million pages and lots of different facets, homes for sale, apartments for rent, you know, uh, houses for sale. So you got to think about when you actually type the query into Google, do you get a separate search result or do you get a parent topic? So, yes, Google's getting better with Bard SG and all this stuff, uh, answering questions within the SERP. But when I look at the search results, if I put in houses for sale and homes for sale, for example, houses for sale in Virginia Beach, homes for sale in Virginia, do I get the same search results? If I do, that doesn't deserve another page. And it probably just means I have to have houses and homes as synonyms within a page. If, if I'm doing something where it's specific to Tesla in Florida 
um, I'll you keep using your example if you don't mind. Yeah. But if you're doing self-driving features testers you know, in, in Florida, and there is sufficient uh, content to answer that, and it would be a simple answer. You cannot use or you can use self-driving features in Florida. And then I would, uh, obviously, if that was it, it would be within a, a larger page. So states where self-driving feature is allowed, states where self-driving feature is not allowed, as opposed to one page per state. Google is smart enough to see both um, you know, sub-queries within a page, uh, passage ranking, as we know, where you have a distinct area that's going to highlight within a page. This is not brand new, but it's within the last five years where Google will highlight the text within a page so it will send users specifically to that. Always use your page as a user, and you can understand whether a content is made for you or not. A simple answer, if Google doesn't see it as a separate query, should be part of a bigger page. Um, that, that's that's how I do it. But once again, th there are so many caveats. I hate to say it depends, but there's lots of caveats on on the type of query. Um, you know, th there were a lot of sites that used to have what is the time in England, you know? Yeah. And, and that can be answered in the search results. So why why would there be a page that says this is the current time in England? So you just got to be sensible, intelligent. And, and you know, SEO is an art and a science. Some of it is subjective. Some of it is based on analysis and some is based on data. So Google will tell you with, uh, you know, if a long period of time, Google Search Console reports, you know, pages discovered but not crawled or, you know, crawled, not indexed, that generally says it's low quality, uh, generally says that page shouldn't exist. And if that's the case, if I find a site like that, I'll just roll those those page, that page's content into a main page, just consolidate. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think it's better to skip such topics uh, when Google can re reply fast. For example, let's imagine the question, uh, Elon Musk uh, age, yeah, if someone can use this yeah. keyword. If Google can reply to this question, why you need to create the page about Elon Musk age? Uh, uh, you can share his biography to provide a lot of insights, but don't try to get all traffic online. So it's better yeah. to pay attention to specific topics uh, where users need to learn a lot more to get deep insights. And Grant, I, I want to ask about uh your podcast with uh lauren baker a search engine journal uh you um i i, I like this topic about seo success and uh, it's like simple expectations uh, settings but you know i i stop building high expectations if i take new project i stopped because seo takes time and uh, we have huge competition at any niche I usually spend time research to craft the right strategy. And what I found, if you build high expectations, uh, then uh, you can discourage yourself when you can't achieve some results in a short time. So you, it takes time to uh, get results. Uh, so tell how to build these high expectations from your experience or don't build high expectations just to build real expectations. Any tips for, for new projects? Sure. Look, there are sites that you look at and you know there is massive opportunity, okay? So when we talk about crawlability and availability of a site, 
you know that if a site cannot be crawled and the content is fundamentally good, that you can fix something relatively quickly if you have dev access or, or aimable devs. And you can get some good results quickly. I don't want to say you can't, but most of the time there's a slog. The slog, as in slow work, is in getting developers to make fixes, getting content authored or, or other criteria that may be out of your control. But I, I think setting expectations is having experience to understand what the opportunity is and how long it's likely to take. So in one of my roles right now, you know, we have a four-week onboarding process during which time we'll deliver first off, first week, low-hanging fruit. What do we think, if it was fixed right away, would make some difference in traffic? That's spider blocks, loops, uh, massive duplicate content issues, um, you know, a homepage that's marked home as a title tag, you know, things like that as an experienced person, you can say, we can make a difference. And then often or not, it's internal linking, you know, things like that. But the second week, we'll deliver an overview of the, the competitive research. So if a competitor in a vertical that has a similar size site, you know, a, something that's very similar to the business I'm dealing with, you can see what traffic they have. And that's the that's the opportunity. Because if, if they are driving, let's say, 10,000 clicks a month, and the current site of a competitor, the one I'm working for, is only driving 500 clicks a month, there's obviously opportunity between 500 and 10,000. So you can set the expectation is given. If, you know, if we follow the strategy, if we get the work done in a timely manner, we should be competitive with this site. And so that would be an, an opportunity analysis that we do and say, look, between where you are now and where the potential might be, it's a zero-sum game. They have to lose for you to win. You've got to be better than them to be able to catch up. In between now and then, there's going to be some time and work involved. If you don't do the work, it's not going to happen. If we don't give you the right instructions, it's not going to happen. But that's how I look at it from a competitive standpoint. The last thing, just to finish off these, this four-week process, it's low-hanging fruit, content analysis, competitive research, idea of the gaps, get feedback from the client as far as whether those gaps are relevant to them and their audiences. Then we look at a technical audit that basically is something that builds on the low-hanging fruit but just says what are the opportunities and where does new content exist within the structure. And then we'll present a strategy. And that strategy will include everything from, you know, when we should produce content to what that content should be, where it's going to be placed with the site, what the internal linking might be, all those opportunities. And, and, and we show a path to where we think they're going to be in the next 12 months, you know, 10 to 12 months. We actually do a six-month strategy because a lot can change in that time. And so we give an idea of an expectation that six months. You know, is it going to double traffic? Is it going to be you know, 20% more traffic? What's it going to be? That is how you do it from research and experience and process. And yeah. you know, it, it's, a, it's also a partnership. You know, you're yeah. not going to get anything done if the client doesn't want to get it done. So I, hopefully that gives you an idea of where my brain is on that. But 
setting expectations is really key. If you don't, everyone loses. Of course, of so, course. Yeah. yeah. I remember uh, a study from uh, probably Search Engine Institute, or I don't remember exactly the website, but uh, the study was that um, only 36% of companies uh, have a documented content strategy. So most companies use generic strategies, nothing special. And uh, I often see this issue when I speak with uh, webmasters. They usually tell me, look, my competitor, I want to get their traffic. I want to get their sales. I usually reply, we don't need to do it. Of, co of course, we need to analyze competitors. But competitors are good with something that works for them. So they have resources. They deserve this ranking positions. But... It's not your strong side. If it's your strong side, okay, let's do it. Let's find the way. Uh, let's find the gap. But if it's not, we can find another way. We can uh, take another topics. And uh, I want to ask about priorities. You know, if we have content strategy, and I often see when uh, clients can share, like, I want to cover 100K keywords. Of course, I, I want to have these keywords, but it's tough. It's tough with limited resources. Even if you have a million dollars, let's imagine even $10 million, it takes time to build the process, to hire the right people, to create uh, the right content plan, strategy. It, it takes time to build uh, the team who can be responsible for that. But uh, in most cases, even big companies have limited resources. Everyone has limited resources. So tell about priorities. How to choose from 100K keywords, the right keywords, uh, and uh, stick with them. Like Brandin. Uh, I remember when he handled uh, Backlinko, he posted one post a, a month. It, that worked well. He got a lot of traffic. He didn't try to cover all possible topics. So tell about uh, the right priorities. Now, you, you ask great questions, you know, and, and, and they're not short answers, unfortunately. And I apologize for my wordiness. But look, there, there is opportunity in, in every disaster. And I mean, <laughs> I mean that in a nice way, you know. You, you come across a site and, and you can see what's performing well. You see what is... Now, what is Google rewarding? And so generally, part of a strategy is focusing there first. Now, if we go way back to the beginning of our conversation, we did talk about what are the key metrics of success. You know, and traffic is not the primary one. And, and more often than not, I, I see on sites where they're being rewarded for a topic that will not result in conversions or will not result in sales, will not result in in admissions or things like that. So you've got to balance out the transactional versus the informational as part of the strategy. And so more often than not, there, I look, 90% of the sites that I deal with, there is a clear path to get more of the key elements of what they need. And that is always the priority. The low hanging fruit does the fixes that I believe will help in, in the immediacy of just shoring up some of the issues. But then the content strategy has to focus on where do they have some authority that aligns with their KPIs, so you know the conversion sales, whatever else, and how do we build more out around that to prove the case that we need more investment, more resources, and other stuff. So you have to prove the case. And the strategy that first six months is really about understanding how 
engage the client is, how how their resources can be leveraged, and then really focusing in on the on the metrics that matter, which are generally sales, conversions, admits, whatever it might be. So that it's very important from a priority standpoint to also let the client know whether their resources are enough or not. So, for example, one big soda client I work with, you know, we basically have an external resource writing content for them. Now, it's not the in-depth brand type EAT type content. It's more of the blog post type stuff around key topics. But they can't do that in-house. They don't have the expertise. They do have the expertise in creating videos around their products and services, in creating in-depth um, you know, explanations of the manufacturing process that they use that is unique and differentiates them. So that's how I tend to say is what can the client take on as a, and how do they prioritize it internally? And then what can we uh, execute externally to prioritize? Like, for example, digital PR. You, you obviously know that well. Yeah. Most clients don't can't do that. And most clients with an in-house PR company can't do that. So sometimes I'll train them and sometimes I'll refer them. But the key thing is it has to get done. If it has to get done, who's going to do it? And if it's not the client, how do we provide the resources so that it can actually get done in, in the priorities that we specify to give the best outcomes, which is what a strategy is. Defining priorities for the best outcomes in a set period of time. So the whole SMART, you know, time bound is the T in SMART strategy. You really got to look at that time bound aspect of it as well from both an execution standpoint and an opportunity and deliverable standpoint. Yeah, nice, nice. About PR, I paid 6000 for one uh, press release distribution. Basically, PR agency wrote this press release, distributed. We got some results, but nothing special. Then I learned that I can do myself. <laughs> I don't need to pay uh, this. Uh, it's, it's a good money, you know, for one press release today. I mean, like each week we distribute 12 press releases and we cooperate with writers who can write content for our blogs. Uh, and many of them can post on uh, Investopedia, Forbes, big website. And we uh, explain them what kind of press releases we need. So basically they write press releases and write, uh, still write our content for investing niches. And today we have great results, even better than if we pay 6,000 for one press release, but mm. we do it 12. <laughs> so it's like 60,000 $60, a week, you know, good money to save. <laughs> no, no, so, it, it, hey, look, links are still important. They're still yeah. an important component. Uh, and links you earn are really the key consideration. You know, there's still the opportunity of, you know, paying for guest posts and everything else. And some of that can be valuable if it's relevant sites with traffic that actually, you know, aren't just sites that sell links. It, it can be really valuable. And look, the, the value of a Forbes or an MSN you know, yeah. it, it has waned somewhat, but it's still valuable. And, and if it drives traffic, then it's then it's wonderful. 
you know yeah. so links links shouldn't just be for you know link juice you know mm -hmm. they they should be for for traffic means as well and for the connection with a, an authority source as well or someone that's trusted that's going to increase the trust signals or the authority signals within that within those eight components you know yeah nice yeah and uh, by the way we often get mentions uh, like i don't know how to convince cnn to uh, link to our website but if we get mentioned on cnn uh, i don't care a lot <laughs> so yeah. it's cnn even there uh, it can help to uh, create brand awareness you know to uh... yes yeah, 100% and brand is a, a you know, a big component of trust you know and so that's important I, i'll tell you a, a funny story we, we did at homes.com we did an article you know what's the best borough in new york mm -hmm. all right so it, it was actually pretty good we did an in-depth article around you know neighbors neighborhoods neighbors uh noise pollution we did a lot of data we pulled in and it ended up and i, I might get this one that the bronx was the least favorite the least popular borough okay this was picked up by uh you know, news in manhattan news you know so new york news is around what's the best borough we had some easily shareable assets and then the mayor of the bronx <laughs> responded <laughs> saying bronx is a great borough you know but but that kind of uh you know promotion and like you said the brand yeah. awareness and everything else you don't plan to have the mayor of a borough do it but in the back of your head, you're saying, who can I inspire to comment on this? I, who am I going to piss off or who's going to love this so much they're inspired to share or comment? Those are the things that make great digital PR. It comes down to content always. Yeah, is, is, is the piece well-researched? Is it valuable? Uh, it, does it have a different opinion? Does it demonstrate some expertise and authority? You know, that, that was really cute. We had, we had a lot of fun stuff. That I was able to do at homes.com. You know, I haven't worked much in-house, but I worked seven and a half years there. And and uh, you know, we had a lot of latitude to do some really fun, cool things that got a lot of promotion, you know, tying into either you know uh, calendar events, um, seasonal stuff, or into locations, which is a great topic to to address. Yeah, yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Um, I often explain to my clients, uh, Google doesn't rank the best content. Google ranks content that people want to consume. For example, if you see Amazon in the first page, it means uh, people want Amazon. Content can be less relevant. Content can be uh, not quality like you can have, but people want Amazon. So uh, if, for example, let's imagine uh, Nike or uh, any other brand. Uh, people know Nike. My son doesn't ask me to buy new sneakers. He he always asks me to buy Nike. Uh, I I wanted this uh, Nike. Uh, so yeah, I, I, because branding uh, is very important, especially today. Uh, and Google ranks content from brands because people click to this content. People wanna see these brands in the top ten. Well, so, I mean, you probably went through the discovery uh, from the Google lawsuit where they admit to using, you know, click data and, and you know, SERP click data yeah. and plus user. I mean, for me, if you look back at some of the articles I wrote in the 2010s, 
basically I'm saying that, you know, Google has to have some measure of feedback from the SERP and some measure of feedback, you know, based on dwell time, return to SERP, query modification, things like that. They must because that's how you get better quality results. And part of that component is brand. And, yeah. and I've done tests where, I, uh, you know, I've, I've mocked up, um, you know, search results, uh, moved around the results so different brands are in different positions, put that in front of a, a you know, a survey pool, and they have shown that brand affects click-through rate. Yeah. You know? And so the fact that people don't invest in brand is mind-boggling. To be able to be an expert and a known brand is, is you know, priceless in in today's search environment, it's going to get even more important as SGE and other stuff comes in yeah, because because those entities, a known entity like mentioned in Wikipedia or Wikidata, is going to be really key to uh, the the algorithms and the AI pulling up the most relevant answers and the most relevant entities, whether that's people, places, things, companies, or whatever. So. Yeah, build brand, 100%. Yeah, 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 I agree. Uh, I want to ask about your experience. Uh, it's very important question for my audience. Um, as I uh, mentioned before, that I cooperate with clients who understand SEO, who understand how it works, who understand why we need to create high-quality content, why we need to use white hat link building, PR to get results. So... If they don't, I tell them, take my course, learn on Google, on YouTube. I don't care a lot how you can get this knowledge, but you need to understand the basic. So basically, I want to ask you, if you started today from scratch without any experience, knowledge, skills, forget about 35 years of marketing experience, forget about SEO. You know, Google exists. That's it. <laughs> you use Google to search for something, but you have no idea how uh, ranking system works. So what will you do today if you started from scratch? Well, I would go to the horse's mouth. So Google's SEO starter guide is actually really good. You know, I, th I think you need some for some of those sections, a little bit of technical understanding. But Google's uh, SEO starter guide is a really great place to start. Then, you know, there's a lady you know, who, who basically has some great resources aggregated together, Backlinko, you know, that's a great great stuff. I don't generally recommend going to the tools themselves because they're generally a bit biased. You know, I'm a bit biased. I, I work for InLinks. We have some great resources around entity SEO. You know, but I, I would basically do that. I'd, I'd go to Google first. I then, you know, look through other SEO guides. I mean, Moz has some great guides as well. From that, you can build a basic site that if you have the right topic, the right expertise aligned with stuff you know about, experience, then you can rank. Now, whether that's a, oops, excuse me, just knocked my microphone over. Um, whether that is enough to rank for very competitive queries, probably not, but it certainly will allow you to rank and potentially drive a business. And I, I, I'll give you a small example. I know we're talking about my experience, but how to build a site quickly. Um, so one of my clients was Napster, the music site. Mm -hmm. And I told them that they should create a site 
that has different music genres. All right, so a section within their site. They said it was too much work. So I went home and scraped Apple, mm-hmm. <laughs> got all the categories and built out a 56-page site that at one point was getting over 100,000 clicks a month. All right. I know nothing about music, mm-hmm. but you know I did know that by creating a site structure, by creating relevant title tags and everything else, that that would be a good site. And plus, I, I saw there was no real competition. Experience is just based on following the basics and iterating to learn more as you go. And I use that site still today as a a test site for different things. Still drives about 30,000 clicks a month. But, you know, it's just a site that I use not to learn everything, but to learn the iterations. Anyone can go to Google SEO Starter Guide and build a site from that information. Yeah. And it just comes down to, how do you iterate to improve? So yeah. if I start today, I'd do that, you know? Yeah, nice, nice, love it, love it. And I have my final question, um, even more important uh, about the future. Um, you know, I, I want to share my opinion. I disagree when someone can tell SEO will never uh, be dead. Uh, I disagree. I think everything has the end and uh, SEO uh, will be, uh, we'll have this end as well, uh, but customers uh, will switch attention to something else. And um, for example, uh, you mentioned about branded Forbes, New York Times uh, appealed before digital, and today these great resources adapted to digital uh, because of strong brand recognition. Uh, I think um, SEO is very important because today SEO still brings a lot more traffic than any other channel, but uh, you know, SEO doesn't teach us how to rank on Google. Of course, SEO can teach, but I mean, like SEO teaches how to create high quality content, how to earn backlinks to create brand awareness, how to increase website speed. Many topics that SEO can help. Uh, if you have experience with these topics, you can adapt to any other channel. You can create content to any channel. It doesn't matter. Even if SEO is that, you can adapt to other channels to switch your attention. Uh, where are your customers can be uh, augmented reality? I don't know chatbots. And today we see the data that uh, when ChatGPT appealed, uh, chat AI bots uh, can take twelve percent of all search traffic. It's a lot. And when I ask my son to Google something on Google, he usually uses TikTok. He doesn't know about Google. <laughs> he doesn't care about Google. So uh, TikTok is a great channel as well. Uh, I want to ask you about the future, your prediction about the future, especially in SEO, and your insights how to adapt to this possible future. Once again, do we have 10 hours? Um, (laughs) I I think it's quite simple. Look, you're right. Channel agnostic. It's the way to go. You know, if SEO becomes less of a a revenue-generating channel, however you generate revenue or awareness, visibility, marketing is not dead, <laughs> all yeah. right? And, and marketing is not just SEO. Online marketing can be any number of things. I, I do think that, you know, where, where the future lies, I mean, look, a lot of the SEO basic tasks can be completed, uh, leveraging AI to speed up the process. You still need to have a strategy. You still need to understand 
you know, your SWOT, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities. So you still need to understand the competition. You still need to understand how to generate revenue. There's lots of components to marketing that go beyond SEO. But as you said, aligns with the SEO uh, tactics. All right. So that's that's number one. Do I see SEO um, diminishing in value in 2024? Um, yes, I do believe there's going to be more questions answered in the SERP. Um, and that obviously does not bode well for click-throughs. Um, and so I do see that, you know, clicks will diminish overall on a net, a net basis. Um, I, I, I just go back to building a brand, leveraging your expertise, leveraging your uniqueness, your USP, leveraging what you know really well, and, and becoming a true expert is is the way that we're going to have to move from an SEO standpoint. Content production's going to be more automated, title tags, everything else, there's going to be a way of just automating that beyond just Yoast SEO, clicking a button or all-in-one SEO. You know, they, they all make suggestions. There still needs to be some finesse from someone that understands what's happening. Um, so I think there's still room for the strategy. There's still room for the oversight. Um, a lot of the the low hanging commodity stuff will be will be gone. Um, ultimately, as SEO people, we should be training ourselves around a more holistic discipline. You know, like you said, availability of a website, um, you know, site speed, um, you know, better content, um, different types of content. Um, digital PR or more aligning with journalists so that we, we actually produce content that journalists want, you know, as opposed to pitching what we think they want. So a lot of that stuff, I think we're going to have to morph. We're going to have to, um, you know, evolve. And I think that there's going to be more competition from brands, bigger brands, that, uh, you know, smaller brands have to find a much better niche. So niche down is probably yeah. one of the advice I'm giving uh, clients this year. Focus, uh, execute, you know, and, and from an SEO standpoint, create better content. Yeah, subjective, yeah. create better quality content. Actually put effort into it, you know? Uh, I couldn't agree more. I, I think, yeah, uh, I think it's very important to become an expert in one niche and focus on that. Even if you use AI tools, for example, if you ask me to write a great article about weight loss, finance, accounting, I can't. I can't even uh, on ChatGPT because I can write generic prompts, nothing special, I can get generic content, uh, but I can in SEO, uh, in digital marketing because I know the topic. I know how to uh, win customer attentions. Uh, so uh, chatbots can't decide your problems. Chatbots can help to craft this content, to get great results. You still need to know the topic. And one more, you still need to know how to write. If you can't write, I'm not sure you, you can get great content on ChatGPT. Um, so there's a few things. I, I Just I know it's a final question. But mm -hmm. First off, you can be an expert and be a really bad writer. And so 
I, I, I've seen some travel blogs where it's basically the big E of experience uh, is the value in that the uniqueness comes there. Not great writing, but great topic, great subject, great everything else. The other thing that's going to be really important, really important is social proof. You know, reviews, testimonials, feedback loops, pure satisfaction of the experience of using a site. I think that that's going to be a big differentiator as well, which is how how well, uh, seamlessly and frictionlessly, do you deliver that content? So that that's the other thing that a lot of people can work on, and SEOs can help, which is you know UX. You know, how, how do you create a better experience? So. Yeah, that, that's how I see 2024. Um, I see myself as being busy, which is good. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it is about leveraging some experience to really differentiate what the client's offering. Awesome. Awesome. Grant, it's a big pleasure to get on my I show. Thank you. To learn from you. I love this experience. I know you're busy, but you found time to share value with my audience. I appreciate so much. So uh, let us know how we can keep learning from you, how to reach out to you, how to follow you. Sure. So um, you can go to grantsimmons.com. You can always reach out to me there. There's a few clicks there on Twitter, at Simonet. Uh, LinkedIn, connect. It's uh, Grant Simmons SEO. Um, that's my main platforms. Um, you know, or I'll see you around the country or around the world at uh, speaking engagements that I do. Uh, my next one, uh, my next public one is in February mm-hmm. in Orlando. So anyone that wants to come to Digital Summit. And if you want to try InLinks, you get a free demo from me. If you <laughs> So mm-hmm. uh, you can get to know me a little bit better on how I think about entity SEO and things like that. So InLinks.com, you can find me there too. Awesome. Awesome. Love it. Love it. Guys, you can find all the links in the description below. Listen to us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again. Love it. Welcome back anytime to share more valuable insights. I'm going, yeah, I'm going to follow you. I recommend to anyone to follow because you can see a lot of value and you can understand from this podcast. You can learn for 40 minutes, everything, uh, basically 54 minutes. <laughs> but if you follow grant on social media you can learn a lot more so i recommend to anyone because i'm going to get more valuable insights okay guys love you see you thanks for tuning in to unmiss enjoyed the show drop us a review on your favorite platform and help us spread the digital marketing wisdom see you next episode